so honored to be here today when in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, I'm going to pick up where I left off last Sunday, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 45, read down through and include all the way down to verse 52, and uh, I'll share the message with you that the Lord has laid on my heart. Now, I'll tell you, as I read this, you may not be too moved with it until, by the grace of God, I get to highlight, like the Holy Spirit highlighted to me what is in this passage of Scripture. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe with all of my heart, friend, that, that none of us, if you're saved, if you're lost, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as far as about what I'm going to say. It does matter about your eternity. But what I'm going to say, it doesn't matter if you're in the saved category, the lost category, this message ought to move you. Ought to touch you. Ought to do something to you internally in your heart, in your mind, and in your spirit. You pray. You pray as I preach. Jesus said in verse 45, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like. He said that now for the sixth time. The only place it's absent is in the first parable, the parable of the sower of the seed, that he does not make that statement. That phrase is not in the sower, the parable of the sower of the seed. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man, uh, likened unto a net that, that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Wait just a minute. Start with me at verse 47, will you? Let me, let me start over. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tom. Amen. When I'm doing my radio ministry, when I mess up like that, I can stop it and hit the delete button and start over again. So I'm going to start over. If you're glad to be here, say amen. Matthew 13, beginning to verse 46, and we're not going to edit that out. 47. No, leave it in there. It was funny Wednesday night. Y'all that was here Wednesday, Josh did a great job with that message Wednesday. And it was funny, he got right over its side of the pulpit for you all that weren't here. And he said, uh, you all are probably tired of hearing me say, listen, I want, I want to tell you something. But he said, listen, I want to tell you something. You know what he did after the second time? He did like this. He just stood there. Brother, I know what you were feeling and thinking. I'm feeling and thinking some of it right now. All right, let's try it again. I'm bound and determined. If I'm nothing else, I'm persistent. Matthew 13, verse 47. And the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. That ought to touch you. So shall it be in the end of the world, actually the end of the age, and I'll explain that later. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. That ought to touch you. Jesus saith, unto them, Have you understood all these things? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he said unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that is an householder 
which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Father, I'm thankful for the privilege of being in this place this morning. And I'm thankful, God, for your word that we have before us. Thankful that you, Father, in your wisdom saw the necessity not only to speak it, to where men would try to pass it to generation, to generation verbally through memory. But I'm glad that you inspired holy men of God to write it down. And so glad, God, that you're so great and great enough and wise enough to preserve it perfectly even into this generation. I'm thankful, Lord, when I pick up the Word of God, this King James Bible, that I am confident that we have the Word of God. And I'm thankful for its inspiration and preservation. And I'm thankful for the power that it possesses. And I pray, God, that people in this place listening in, looking on, God might feel the power of the Holy Spirit touching their spirits and their heart. And if there's someone here lost, dear God of heaven, if they came lost, I pray that you would arrest them like you did the Philippian jailer in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. That, Lord, you would convict them of their sins and convince them of their need of Jesus and do that work of conversion that only you can do through your word and through your spirit. And we'll give you the praise for the outcome. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus, that name that's above every name, the name of your Son, our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to talk to you today about the parable of the dragnet. This is the seventh parable, this great parable in this great chapter that we've been looking at, the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, which is one of the great discourses that we have record of, of, of Jesus speaking in the Word of God. Some of the others are the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Upper Room Discourse in chapter uh, 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 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of the book of John and Mount Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapters 24 and 25. This is the seventh parable, but it's the eighth message of this, of this series on the mystery parables of the kingdom. And let me say this just for some that are newly here and may not understand, and I'll say it again in the message, I'm sure. These parables are mystery parables of the kingdom that tell what's happening during the time the kingdom of heaven has been postponed from the time Jesus was rejected by the nation of Israel until the time that he returns. And by the way, I believe that's soon to happen. So Jesus wanted us to know what would happen during this period of time on planet earth. Now the parables we're considering today is a parable uh, that's very special in different ways. It's not only the last in this serious series, but if it's understood rightly, friend, I believe it brings us in our thinking, in our reading, in our understanding to the threshold of the millennial kingdom the Lord promised to David in a covenant that he made with him long ago. It's the kingdom over which Jesus will rule for 1,000 years on the throne of David from the city of Jerusalem. My, won't the Muslims and the rest of the world get a shock out of their life? Amen. Before we consider this, though, turn with me. And all of you that brought a Bible, turn. If you hadn't brought one, shame on you. Bring one the next time. If there's one near you in the seat in front of you, get it. Chapter 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I emphasize this 
passage last week, and the reason I'm doing it again, it is a major, everybody heard me say major, say amen, it is a major verse in understanding the dispensational truths of the Word of God and being able to rightly divide prophetic word. Listen to what he said, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 32. He said, Give none offense, neither to the Jew, the Gentile, nor the church of God. Let me, let me say to you something there simply, and I'll come back to this again. These are the only three groups of people that God recognizes. And in the parables that we have been dealing with, in the parable of the hidden treasure, in the parable of the pearl of great price, and in the parable that we're looking at today, that trilogy of parables, we see these three groups referenced. If you will, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, we find the hidden treasure, which speaks of the nation of Israel or the Jew. In verses 45 and 46, we have the parable of the pearl of great price which speaks of the Jews in 47 and following that which I've read in your hearing down to verse 52 we have the parable of the dragnet now listen to this that speaks of the Gentile nations not the church not the Jew and I'll try to bring this out a little more in the message because this is the message in many ways. But listen, friend, it's an exciting parable that takes us right to the verge, if you will, of eternity. As you know, as you look around in our world, today it's not hard to believe that the coming of the Lord is nigh at hand. Most of us, I believe, uh, believe that the trumpet could sound at any moment. Most of us believe that the door of heaven through which we'll enter one day, a friend could open at many, any moment. And most of us believe that the Lord will come for His blood bought, redeemed any day now. You see, we know what Paul said in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses, I don't know what they are, the next to the last two, 16 and 17, I believe it is, where he said the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I want to say like John did in the last verse, Book of the Revelation 22, 21, even so come, Lord Jesus, amen. Now if you say, wait just a minute, preacher, that, that worries me. Everybody look at me right real quick. Good. It ought to worry you if you're lost and undone. I ought to worry you if you're not right in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, friend, you may be saved, but you may be, listen, following afar off like Peter was, warming yourself by the fires of the world. Hey, it's no day and hour to lag behind. We ought to get as close as we possibly can in this hour. I'm telling you, friend, something's going to happen soon. You know, the Bible tells us, friend, about what's going to happen. At the moment that God takes the church off of planet earth, it is prior to, now listen now, it is prior to the coming of Jesus in the revelation. He, he's going to snatch his church away out in what's called the rapture. 
but he's returning in his revelation. And friend, look at the end. At the end of the tribulation period, a seven-year period of time that Jeremiah spoke of in chapter 30. Oh, it's about verse, I don't know what it is, maybe verse 8, somewhere down through there. You know what he called it? He called it the time of Jacob's trouble. Do you know what the name of Jacob was changed to? To Israel. Listen, friend. This great parable that looked like God had just cast a net into the sea of the world, the net of the gospel, and and let it drop down with weights and let the wood on top float. And and when time was up, the angels or somebody, it doesn't say who grabbed that net. They just grabbed hold of it and pulled it to shore. And then we'd see who was saved and who was lost. Way deeper than that, folks. Way deeper than that. Are y'all praying if you are? Say amen. So with those things in mind, just for a few moments of time, let's see what the Lord would have us to know. Remember, he spoke four parables to the multitude while he was on a boat in the Sea of Galilee speaking to those who were on the shore. When he came to these last three parables, uh, the parable again of the hidden treasure which speaks to the Jews. The parable the, uh, of, of the pearl of great price that speaks to the church. And the parable, the dragnet, he had left the multitude, went inside the house of Pete, Simon Peter, and sat down, and to his disciples only, he began to give these three parables. He wants us to know something today. You see, this parable, the dragnet, speaks of the people from the Gentile world that will help populate the millennial kingdom when Jesus returns at his revelation. You say, when will that be? Listen, what I want to tell you. It will be at least seven years after he comes to the church in the rapture. I believe personally it will be more like ten years. But it will be at the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Listen to what this great prophet of old said in chapter 66. You say, how can I say what I'm, being, what I'm saying about the Jew and about the church being gone and about the nations being the nations of, of Gentile people? People of the world? Listen to what he said in the book of Isaiah. Because look, folks, I want to tell you something. Israel is back in the land. The Jews are back in the land in unbelief. For the first time since 1948, there are more Jews in Israel than there are in New York. That says something. That says a whole lot to this old preacher that loves prophecy. They're there in unbelief. But hear me well. There's coming a day, friend, when a nation will be born in a day. This is what the prophet said. Some of the greatest scripture in the Word of God. Verse 7 and following. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travaileth, she bring forth 
her children. Hey, listen, folks, it's not happened yet, but one day soon it's going to. Near the end of the tribulation, after two-thirds of the Jewish world is annihilated by the judgment of God, there's going to be a third of them left. And you know what they're going to do? The Bible tells us in Zechariah that they're going to repent in bitter tears, and they're going to look at the wounds in the hands of of Jesus and ask him what are those wounds in thy hands and he'll say these are the wounds that I received in the house of my friend and you know what the word of God says that they'll do they will begin to weep and mourn as one who lost their firstborn child you say what's that mean preacher they're going to repent and by faith receive Christ as their savior here's what I'm wanting us to see This parable, friend, listen, is important for me and you, and especially if you're lost, you want to be in the right group when you get to this place. So, at this time, the church will be in heaven. The church will be going to the Bema seat, and we'll be prepared, uh, we'll be being prepared to return with Jesus in Revelation 19. And look at what he says in Revelation 7. Turn there with me too. I'm getting back where I'm going to preach a little bit, so y'all don't worry a whole lot. Listen to what he said in two verses. Verses 9 and 14, Revelation chapter 7. You know, it, it, it amazes me how people look at the Word of God and can be so ignorant about it. There are people that believe there's only 144,000 go going to heaven. Now, if you don't know who that group is, you're a blessed person. I'll just be honest with you. And uh, you, you know what? The Bible tells us who the 144,000 are. They are 12,000 that Jesus is going to seal. They're going to be men. They're going to be evangelists out of the 12 different tribes of the nation of Israel. And they're going to be evangelists during the tribulation period. They're they're going to be spreading the gospel of the kingdom. And in that period of time, listen now, there's going to be a multitude of people saved. I've got the record of it right here. I'm going to read it. You say, why are they going to be saved? Look, let me slow down and say it again. Jesus is coming back to set up a kingdom on planet earth. Before he comes back, he's going to come for the church. We're going to be in heaven. Israel, friend, is is out of the picture until the end of the tribulation. So when the millennial begins, he's going to need somebody to populate his kingdom. And he's going to do it with Jew and Gentile. The Gentile are going to be the nations that hear this gospel. And listen, friend, at the end, they're going in the kingdom when the net is drawn and the good fish and the bad fish are separated from each other. Am, am I getting this over? Is this, are, are you understanding this? Now, I have a way of clouding the water, and I don't want to do that. But listen to what he said in verses 9, and then I'll read 14. And he said, now after this, I beheld, and lo, wait, somebody doesn't, some, wait just a minute. Somebody sit back there thinking, well, now, preacher, the, the tribes of Israel are lost. Look up here at me. They are not. We may not know where they are, but God knows exactly where they're at. 
They're not the 12 lost tribes of Israel. Just like people say, oh, there's, there's uh, how, many, how many books in the, the Apocrypha? 15? They say, well, there, there's, there's lost books of the Bible. Look up here at me. No, there's not. In this King James Bible, we have got a fully canonized Bible. We've got every word that God wants us to have in this book. None of them's lost. God's given us a perfect, complete, pure, powerful word. He knows where those people are. But look, man, it's not preaching anyway. I thought it would, but I'm having a good time. He said, and after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, look now, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, and stood before the throne before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Look at verse 14. And I said unto him, John did, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, which have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You may be sitting there thinking, saying, No, preacher, I didn't know anybody could be saved in the tribulation. Folks, there's going to be a great revival in the tribulation. People, when they get saved during that seven-year period of time, many of them, John said, will lose their head. They'll lose it or the guillotine or maybe the sword of a Muslim. I have no idea who. But they'll lose their head because John said, I saw the souls of them that have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad I'm going out when the trumpet sounds. I'm like David Cook. He said, that great evangelist, I love him and miss seeing him. He said, when I hear the toot, I'm going to scoot. I like that. I'm not waiting around, amen. I'm going on the first sound, without a doubt, and I hope you're ready to, too. These people, listen now. Let me give you one more verse out of Revelation. Turn to chapter 17, and we're going to look at verse 15. These people came out of the sea of humanity. The Word of God, friend, is its own commentary and its own interpreter of what it says. Listen to what he says in chapter 17 of this same book of the Revelation. I don't have time to tell you what's going on, but we see the great whore here in the book of the Revelation chapter 7. He's talking about, he's talking about the apostate church that's going to enter into the tribulation period. You see, the true church is coming out. But that false church, that apostate church that I've been teaching on for weeks and months now, it's going into the kingdom or into the tribulation. God's going to take care of it in a judgment. I'm just going to read one verse, verse 15. And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. It is a sea of people and friend, out of that sea of people, those 114 evangelists, which will be going throughout all the world proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, will have people that will hear, believe, and receive. Hey, this may surprise you, but they're not going to be the only ones preaching the gospel. There's going to be an angel flying through the air preaching the everlasting gospel. Amen. That sounds exciting, but I don't want to be here when that's happened. You see, there's no doubt that this is referring to the Gentile nations. Why? Let me say it again. 
At this time, the church is going to be in heaven. The Jews will have been dealt with, friend, as the hidden treasure. And I just want to say, I think the Word of God is amazing and precious. But look with me back to Matthew chapter 13. Listen to what it says. So shall it be at the end of the world. Now, that word, world, doesn't mean that... Y'all know the world's never going to come to an end. It's going to be, it's going to be re, uh, uh, remade. It's going to be refreshed, whatever you want to, uh, to call it. It's going to be judged. It's going to melt with a fervent heat. And, and uh, it's going to be created anew. But the world has been made to inhabit, the Word of God says, forever. Forever. So when he says... So shall it be in the end of the world. He means at the end of the age. And when you look at this, when you study this out, it means at the end of the tribulation period, right at the threshold of the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. You see, when Christ returns here to be in His revelation, again, which occurs seven years after, at least seven, I believe ten after the rapture of the church, he'll need to populate his kingdom and he'll do it with those that believe during the tribulation time. So, we must remember that these parables are mystery parables of the kingdom, not the church. The church is in this period of time. The church age runs parallel to it. But these parables were given by Jesus to let us know what would happen during the time the king was absent and the kingdom was postponed. Let me remind you of this again. The first four parables we see the devil doing his best to destroy the things of God, did he not? I mean, in the parable of the sower, there was only one type of soil that received the word that took root and bore fruit. We even see in that parable that Satan was so involved that, that he even came and plucked the seeds away from those uh, hearts that it had been sown in. In the parable of the tares and the wheat, or the wheat and the tares, a man that owned a field sowed his field with wheat, he went home, went to bed, and during the night, his enemy came, which is the devil. Jesus told us who it was, and he began to plant tares. You know what tares are? They're weeds that look early on, early on, they look exactly like wheat. So much like wheat, Jesus said that the householder said, just let them grow together, and we'll take care of it at the harvest. And then he said, it was like, it was like, uh, uh, it was like a mustard seed that had been planted in a field, which is the smallest of all seeds, but when it was grown, it became, it became a tree. Look, friend, that's abnormal growth. God never intended the church to be much of like what it is in some places in our day. That's all I'm going to say about it. That, that, that picture of the tree, that mustard seed that grew into a tree, had birds of the air of all different kinds, under its shade and its shadows. And remember I told you that the birds came to pluck the seeds up that were in the heart of people that didn't really understand it. You know who that's a picture of? That's a picture of Satan. And then he said it's like the, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman that took some meal 
three measures of meal and hid leaven in it until the whole was leavened. Y'all know what leaven is always a picture of in the Word of God? A picture of sin, of something that, that is negative. I mean, it could be the doctrine of the Rhodians, the doctrine of the Pharisees, the doctrine of the Sadducees, but it's a type of sin. And I'm telling you, friend, listen. Listen, one of the reasons I know Jesus must be coming soon is, is the degree of apostasy that's manifesting itself in the church that Jesus, listen, is going to come and remove. So there we are, back here at our parables. Now look. When the gospel is preached or the net is cast out, it draws all kinds of fish or all kinds of men. In this parable that was before us, he describes them as either good fish or bad fish or just and unjust. Now I want everybody to decide where you're at today. And let me make it easy. You're either saved or unsaved. If you're saved, you're a good fish. If you're saved, you're one of the just ones. But if you've never met Jesus by faith at an altar somewhere, if you've never repented of your sins and, and received Christ by faith as your Savior, the Word of God calls you a bad fish. Calls you wicked. Not me, the Word of God does. Well, you say, preacher, I'm not a bad man or a woman. You may not be, but listen, sir, ma'am, let me tell you, you're as bad off as you can be. You see, we here at Roxalana preach and teach the Bible as a whole as much as we can. We don't hold back anything. And you know what? The Bible teaches the total depravity of man. You say, what is that, preacher? Well, it doesn't mean that every man does as bad as he can do, but it does mean that every man, woman, boy, or girl, is as bad off as they can be. We may not be as bad as a Hitler. We may not be a Mussolini or, or a, a Gary Dahmer or somebody, but we're all sinners in need of salvation. And that makes us as bad off as we can be. So which category are you in? You know more than that, Jesus knows. You see, they speak of the saved or the unsaved, the just or the wicked. And in this parable, they're either good fish or bad. As we think about this, there are those, as we think about this net being brought into the shore, that's where he said that it was. Is, is that right? Is that what it says? Thank you. Drew to the shore. Now, I believe with all of my heart that this shore speaks of the nation of Israel. I believe that. You say, why? Turn with me to the book of Joel, right after Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Obadiah. Hey, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. So right after the book of Daniel, you'll find the book of Hosea, then you'll find the book of Joel. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verses 11, 12, and 13. He said, Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen. Gather yourself together round about thither. Cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Now watch this. Let the heathen be weakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. I'm not even going to read the next verse. I'll challenge anybody to leave here today and go find a map that has the valley of Jehoshaphat on it. It doesn't exist yet. Did y'all hear me? Now, there are several of us that believe we know where it's going to be. From the very first time that I had the privilege of touring the, to the, the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, the first time we left Mount Moriah, that's the Temple Mount, and came down its side, crossed what is called the Kedron Valley, the valley that separates Mount Moriah from uh, Mount Olivet. And actually it's on the east, the west and the east. You know what our guide told us? And what our host, who was a Christian, the guide was a Jew, the host was a Christian. They both agreed because the Word of God says that we believe it's here that God will judge the nations. There is where we'll find one day the valley of Jehoshaphat. There is the place that God will judge the nations as we find record of in Matthew chapter 25. Not going to turn there, but when you get home, read chapter 25, beginning at verse 31 down through 46 or 49, wherever it ends. And you'll see Jesus. Now listen now. Here, here it is good fish and bad fish. Here it is just and wicked. But there it's going to be the sheep and the goats. Let me tell you something. That judgment of Matthew 25 is not the final judgment. Everybody heard me say not, say amen. It's not the final. There is no general resurrection and general judgment where God will bring all people of all time before Him and the sheep are the saved. He'll sit on His right. I'm looking at Charles' right. Or the goats, He'll sit on His left, which are the unsaved. He's talking about the nations. The nations that during the tribulation period that dealt with the Jewish nation that were under great persecution by Antichrist, under the great hand of God's judgment, how they related to Jesus' brethren, the nation in which He was born, the very people that He came to, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said, now listen, you that gave me food and water and visited me when I'm in prison, hid me when they were looking for Him, did this kind things to them, you come, you come into the kingdom, you blessed of the Lord. But you that never visited them, you never gave them anything to eat, you never gave them anything to drink, you added to their pain, their misery, and the suffering. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. This is the same judgment, just given to us in two different ways. Just like the gospel. We have the gospel. One gospel. Everybody knew that say, man. One gospel, four accounts. Matthew's view, Mark's view, Luke's view, and John's view, they're all inspired of God, but they see Jesus in a different way, present Him as different uh, things for different reasons known to God and known to us. But here, we find these two judgments. One, 
dealing with fish, good and bad. The other with, with uh, animals, sheep and goats, saved and unsaved, is what he's talking about. So look, that judgment, friend, that judgment there at the end of the tribulation, read Matthew 25, only deals with, only deals with the Gentile nations and their treatment of the Jews. And I'm about done, and everybody's saying, glory, hallelujah, I imagine. I'm still enjoying this. I hope you all are. So, some, so listen, there's some things in this Bible that can't be preached. They've got to be taught. And that's just what this message is today. It's a preachy, teachy message, more than a preachy, preachy message. And there's a difference. They're all the Word of God. They're all the same. They all still have God's touch on them. But turn with me back to Matthew 13, and here's where it gets sticky. Listen, I said all of that just to get to tell you about this. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I don't know about you all folks, but that troubles me greatly. And it ought to trouble you. If you're saved, say amen. It ought to trouble you. If you know anybody that's lost, it ought to trouble you. It ought to trouble you, especially if you've got a loved one in your family that's lost that you've not been praying for, that you've not witnessed to yet, that you couldn't come up to tell me, preacher, I know my brothers and my sisters are saved or lost. I don't know because I haven't asked them. Shame on you. Workmates, schoolmates, neighbors across your backyard and your front yard. Doesn't matter where. If you're saved, listen folks, let this get a hold of us. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about the souls of men and women that will be lost forever. And we grave stand between them and their eternal destiny with the good news of the gospel. Are y'all getting, are y'all feeling this? I, oh, how I pray God we're feeling this. It ought to trouble us if we're saved, friend. Now listen, this is as real as it can be. It ought to get our attention. It ought to challenge us. It ought to charge us. I believe considering this ought to get the lost to realize how serious it is to be lost and to realize their need to be saved. I believe as we consider this, we ought to, we that are saved ought to consider it in a way, friend, that if, you, if we are saved, we ought to want to get the people that aren't saved, saved. It's one of the biggest reasons God left us behind. We're to be salt and light. He said, listen, the bad fish are going to be gathered up by the angels which will make no mistake. You might fool the pastor. You might fool your spouse, your children, your boss, 
your friends. What? But you're not, you'll listen, you'll not fake it when it comes to that judgment. And the angels begin to sever between the just and the unjust, between the good and the bad, between the sheep and the goats. Hey, don't, don't, don't let you think it's diminished because God tells us here in this parable that the angels are going to do the dividing or the separating. They all have pretty good authority. They all have pretty good power and ability. There's no doubt in my mind. But this ought to grip us. You see, it's so plain, folks. It's so plain that even I can understand it. Look at verse 51. Jesus said, have you understood these things? And you know what they did? They all answered, yes, Lord. So I'm going to ask you, if Jesus can bring his congregation to a decision, I'm going to bring you to one. Not everybody has heard all seven of these parables preached by me and this, the eighth message that I preached on these parables. Now, now let me give you a disclaimer. This hadn't been the finest presentation you ever hear. It's just been the best that I could do this time around. I'm still not over the message I preached on the, on the parable of the mustard seed. I'm still not over that one. Maybe if I get to preach it again in the future, I'll do better. I'll present it better. But listen, listen. If you've heard any of these... My question to you today is, and look, you're going to have to answer in your mind, not to me. It's not what I want. It's not what I'm after. It's not after my ego. It's not after me. I'm just, I'm just the delivery boy. It's all I am. If Jesus could ask his congregation, have you understood these things? May I ask you, have you, have I, have we understood these things? And if you say, yea, Lord, in any way, can I tell you what we ought to be doing? We ought to be doing our best. Our best to get men to Christ before it's too late. Now let me, let me stop right here. Everybody does remember what I read before I started this message here. Did, did, y'all remember the 30 different ministries that are done at Roxalem? Now here's the kicker. I'm not trying to make up to you because I'm asking a hard question. I believe in this congregation. I have confidence in this congregation. I, I recommend people to come to this church, to be a part of this fellow. We're not perfect. We're not perfect, but we want to be. If y'all agree with that, say amen. We want to be better. We strive to do it right. We have a purpose, we have a vision, we have a goal, we have a view, we have a reason, and that's the glory of God. We want everybody that comes in these doors that are lost to get saved. Everybody that comes in these doors that are saved to grow in grace and in knowledge. We want everybody to benefit from the gospel of Jesus that we try to proclaim. It's not about anyone. It's not about any group. It's not about any one ministry. It's ministries we do together as the children of God as He's brought us here together. But listen, listen. If we understand, you know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be doing our best to get men to Christ before it's too late. Now, let me quantify that statement. It could be that we're involved in ministries at times where we go through the motion without any kind of emotion, and we miss the whole deal. Now, if you don't believe that can happen, 
I can take you so quick to the 15th chapter of the book of Luke and show you where a man had one prodigal son, actually had two, one left home, the other stayed home. And in many ways, I think the one that stayed home and got so wrapped up in the father's business that he was worse shape off from the one that went away and ended up in the pig pit. That's my thinking, not yours, mine. We ought to get stirred. Now look, folks, this, this has convicted me. I'm not, I'm not preaching this in an elevated way. The only reason I'm elevated above you is this is where our pulpit is. That's the only elevation on you all that I have. Nothing else, nothing spiritual, nothing, nothing personal. You know what I believe we ought to do sometimes more than what we do? We ought to spend more time at this altar crying, friend, crying out to God for the souls of our lost families, friends, and even foes. And anybody that disagrees with me, stand up and say something. We're going to come and talk one-on-one if you do. We, we talk like we believe Jesus is coming. And we're doing things. I, I appreciate Gail and Sue. When they come here, I'll never forget those two sisters coming. Joshua wasn't long. They come up to me and said, you know what we want to do? We believe God would have us to do visitation. And I said, glory to God. But I had a heart attack. Hey, I can give you all kinds of ways to get rid of your pastor if you, if, 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 if you want to. One of them is when he preaches, just amen him to death. Everything he says, just amen him, amen, amen, amen. That's good, glory to God. Listen, he'll think he's such a good preacher, he'll preach himself to death. You can get rid of him like that. Or if you want to get rid of him another way, walk up to him after Sunday school or Wednesday night and say, Preacher, I've been praying and God wants me to do something. He'll drop dead in a heart attack. <laughs> Y'all know I'm being facetious now. You know what I'm saying. But I think, friend, this ought to touch us. We ought to be crying out for the salvation of those people. That, we, that we've written off. You ever wrote off somebody? Now, this is going to get close. You ever have somebody just flat out tick you off? You, some of you back here, I need to say liar, liar, pants on fire too. I mean, you, I, I mean, you ever have somebody in business or friendship, whatever, we run into these people. Look, none of us are perfect. Nobody we run into are perfect. But I know what I'm going to tell you, friend, from, from a personal, experiential way. There's people that I don't want to go on vacation with that I've dealt with. But you know what I've learned? The grace of God can bring me to a place to where I can repent over how I feel or think about them after we've had our difference, to where I could pray for them hoping that they'll be saved if they're not. Did I make that plain? See, I had to pray for myself before I could, you know. Just because you get mad at somebody, don't come to me and say, I, I, don't, I, don't want you, I don't want you to have anything to do with them anymore. And that happens. If that's your heart, something's wrong in your heart. Anybody going to help me? I'm not trying to be mean, I'm trying to help. There was a time that, that look, I'm not going to give you the spill of it. I'm going to tell you where specific. But, but look, Debbie and I went through something that was spiritual among God's people. And look, after they had a tragedy in the family, Debbie and I, because we love the Lord, 
knew this family was hurting. We gathered up groceries, went and knocked on their door. And when the mother of the daughter that was in so much pain, they both came to the door. She looked at me and Debbie and said, we knew y'all would come. Now see, I like that. That's a testimony. Not that I'm perfect, but they saw Jesus in me. I had to pray to get to that point. Are y'all with me? But I'm telling you, it's better to live at this place than the other place I could have been living. This address is a whole lot better. If I were to ask you if you wanted to see anybody die lost and go to hell, everybody in here would say, absolutely not. There's no question about that. And that ought to be how we answer. I'm glad Satan's gone. I, I say that without apology. I'm glad old smutty face won't be in heaven. He's lost his chance. He's been there. He decided he didn't like it. But I don't want to see any man, woman, boy, or girl that I've ever met go to hell. But there have been times in my life that my heart has not been in a place so I could pray for them sincerely. Look, I'm not saying if somebody's hurt you, like I just said, that you've got to go to vacation with them or even go out to eat dinner. That's not what I'm saying. But boy, look, if we can't pray for them, if we can't forgive them, then maybe we need to pray. See, we need to just maybe pray till our heart breaks. And then maybe God will break their heart. Come on, Judy. Can we listen again to what Jesus said would happen to the bad fish? I tell you, this gripped me. I don't know how many times I've read this chapter. I don't know how many times I've read and studied on these parables. I've even taught them, preached them. But this hadn't gripped me like it has before today. He said that we cast in the furnace. Can I tell you why I'm standing here today saved? I'm not going, I'm not going to tell you what Jesus did in entering into the stream of humanity. I won't do that. But I'm here today because I knew that if I die lost, I'd go to hell. April the 23rd, 1974, standing in the backyard of a new house that Debbie and I had just bought. I was working on a piece of field that, that I had plowed up. I tore it up, and God was tearing my heart up. I was leaning on my rake. I had a new wife, a new house. Just got certified as an electrician in the state of West Virginia and just got a new electrician's job. Had it made. But I was empty because I was lost. Because I knew I'd die. if I were to die, I'd go to hell. I never will... I, I, I t- I, here's how I was leaning on that rake. And I was thinking about my eternity. And I said, boy, I'm lost. If I die, I'll go to hell. Huh. Holy Spirit passed by and said, you don't have to. Sinner friend, you don't have to die lost. My God, don't. You will if you don't receive Christ. You will if you never repent and receive Him as your Savior. But please don't die lost. Lord, I get on my belly and crawl all through this place for you if that gets you saved. I'd come to your feet. I'd put my arms around your ankles and I would beg you if that's what it would take to be saved. 
Jesus just simply says, Come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. You don't have to be saved. We want you to be. We know you need to be. Whether you will be or not, that's up to you. Jesus has made the plan of salvation so simple that he said a fool, though a wayfaring man, would not err therein. He made it so simple, he said, Suffer or allow little children to come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He even said, Except you become as a little child. A little child is just trusting. Just, just give their heart and trust totally over. That's what you got to do. That's what I had to do when I got saved. Church, there's something about this again that's troubled me for us. I think a lot of times we sit too quietly. My heart's too cold. My eyes are too dry. When I think about the multitudes of people that are dying lost. I wonder out of those 16 hundred, right? 1,360 tracts that were given out Friday. All 1,360 people that received them could be saved. I wonder how many of them will be. And if there was just one, the investment and the effort was well worth it. We, we could never estimate the value of a soul. It's so valuable that God sent His only begotten Son. It's so valuable Jesus shed His precious blood. And we sat cold heart and dry eyes. Sinners sat unconcerned. Look, the devil is deceiving this world so bad in this day, it's unbelievable. Hell is not a place to go to for a party time, I'm guaranteeing. This wailing means weeping. Weeping in ways that none of us can imagine. The gnashing of teeth means the grinding or the gritting of the teeth, trying to bear the pain. None of us can demonstrate it. None of us can put into words what it is. But here's the good news out of all the bad news I've told you saved if you want to be. You say, preacher, I, I'm not really feeling anything. Well, I'd have to question that. We're full of feelings. You may not just understand what you are feeling. But salvation's not by feelings. There's a connection, a feeling connected with salvation. Man, when I got saved, look, I, I was under so much condemnation. The weight of conviction was on me. And when I got saved, all that was gone. I failed to change as far as that goes. Salvation is by grace through faith. So if you want to be saved, you can be.